Hello, sisters, and welcome. Grab a drink, get a familiar cozy up by a bubbling cauldron, and join us for this meeting of the Sisters of the Night Caucus. Say hello, sisters. Hello, I am Katie. Hi, I'm Angela. Hello, Carol Taylor here. And Carol's with us. All right. Uh, oh my God. So fun today. Um, this week, the past week or so, uh, presumably it's not going to get any better by the time this episode comes out on Wednesday. Uh, so we're just going to assume that it's still insane. Uh, but we're going to try and just really uh, focus ourselves on our hexes. Uh, Angela, I thought you had a delightful hex. Uh, you want to go for it? Yeah, I'm ready. I've been ready. I've been ready for yeah. for a long time on this one. Born ready. Uh, th this is this is a, a hex that eventually needs into a movement for legislation. Um, so it is absolutely ridiculous. This what I'm about to say, and many of you probably already know it, but we're going to draw some attention to it. And my hex is the ridiculousness that is in a growing gig freelance and consulting labor market. There are zero avenues for protections against sexual harassment in the workplace for freelancers in the state of Pennsylvania, and let, like unless you meet these very very narrow requirements, which basically is someone who is state uh, under state licensure. So that's awful. That's bullshit. It's also relevant because we're moving into campaign season, and you know. I, I feel like I don't have enough time. I feel like we could have an entire episode devoted to, oh, hey, please don't sexually harass staff. But um, hey, don't sexually harass staff. B, don't sexually harass freelance employees, designers. I mean, it's, it is such a growing issue. If you bring this up in a group of, let's say, 10 individuals, who have worked freelance, nine of them will raise their hand and tell you the horrible things that they've had to deal with and, and, and the issues that it caused them. It, it doesn't reflect our current uh, market, you know? And if we're gonna keep moving towards this gig economy, which that's a whole other topic, perhaps we shouldn't, but as it stands right now, it, it is just another avenue to misclassify workers and then harass the living hell on them because you know they have no power. And, um, and that's gross and we really need to do something about it. There are states who have better laws um, across the board because just, just throwing it out there, this doesn't just cover sexual harassment. I mean, we're also talking about workplace discrimination around um, sexual orientation. We are talking about hostile work environment, dealing with slurs um, and many other aggressions. So this is a big problem and it, it's effed up. So I just drawing attention. That is my hex. We yeah. should do something about it. Uh, we should absolutely like, cause it's in 2022 when we, we still have to be like, hey, could you not sexually harass people? Mm -hmm. For real. But I feel you have to constantly remind people. Mm hmm 100%, like, 100%. And look, before we get, before I, I shut up, 
I, I too, Katie, am full of rage today. Um, this is my um, annual, biannual reminder that guess what? Your staffer doesn't really want to sleep with you. They don't. They don't. And let's they just don't. say on the wild case that they might have confusedly sent you those messages. It's your responsibility to not do that. So don't yeah. do it. Is your responsibility to say, uh, no, no, I do not want to abuse my position of privilege. This is a, I, I'm in a position of authority over you and it would be inappropriate for us to engage in that relationship while we are having this unequal professional relationship. It's not that hard. It's well, not just, it's not just about sexual harassment either. It's also it's about, a, it's not just about sexual harassment. Yeah. It's also Katie. about freelance. Yeah. Yeah. It's also about freelance kinds of gig economy compensation, mm -hmm. paying people. Like, even if you're doing freelance, go get yourself some sort of simple contract to make sure that you at least get fucking paid because that issue is out there too. And if you are running into like a sexual harassment situation or anything like that, and you don't have a contract and they're trying to withhold pay or something like that, you've got an issue. Well, yeah, the problem there with that, and I just, I want to take this one step because I, I want to really bring it back around to the freelancer's perspective here. And that is this, let's say you have a contract and let's say that you were contracted to do $2,000 worth of work, right? For, for someone, one little project, two grand, and they horrifically sexually harass you. And you're like, oh, F this, I, I can't do this work. Okay, but you have this contract. Your outlet is to go to small claims court. So now you have to go, this individual, you have to go to small claims court for what is normally a small amount of money. And then you have to you know, see the individual, you have to deal with the whole situation. And most people don't opt to do that. And that's, that, that it's a shitty, shitty, but yes, people always make sure you have a contract, but be just to take the onus a little bit off of people and to say why a lot of people don't pursue small claims court is because that's a horrible situation for someone who's already dealing with being uh, harassed. Right, exactly. Um, Katie, you had uh, also a very pertinent hex. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I was, uh, for those of you who do not follow me on certain social media platforms. I was uh, chit-chatting with some folks yesterday and realized that all of us are, are dealing with mental health issues. I'm in therapy. I think, frankly, all of us on this call are in therapy right now. Um, and in speaking with friends, the stigma for whatever trauma, mental health issue, diagnosis, et cetera, they have the way people are still being treated when they are trying to be open about their mental illness, fully aware that people are getting help, maybe they have medication and they're trying to do the right thing and be out there and open for other people with mental health concerns, still getting fucking trashed and burned and treated so, so poorly by people just because they have a mental health diagnosis of some sort. And it is part of my rage today. Um, the treating people who are being open about their mental health situations like shit 
about their mental health situations doesn't help their mental health situation. And every human deserves a little bit of grace, whether you like them or not. And the fact that people are willing to put a lot on the line and be public in whatever form, whether it's on social media or just public with their family about their mental health and still getting treated like crap, that's not treating each other with grace. And every human should treat each other with grace because I know damn well some of people are out there trashing others and they want to be treated with grace. And if they're not doing it, fuck you. That's where I am. Just the stigma of mental health. People are like, oh, the pandemic, the stigma's gone. Yeah, no, it's not. Real and true. Uh, so my hex today is this. Um, Russia and the unending conservative pretzel twisting so as not to ever have to agree with a Democrat. Like, genuinely, Russia bad. You know, for years, conservatives have been trying to get everybody on the Russia bad bandwagon. And yeah, Vladimir Putin, awful. I think we've all always agreed on that. Um, but now Vladimir Putin literally invading Ukraine and suddenly it's, oh, well, you know, the one take from a person who I shall not name her name, uh, the one take, uh, well, you know, if only we had let Russia in NATO or uh, if only like, obviously Russia was going to invade Ukraine if we didn't do this thing. Appeasement doesn't work, has never worked on anything, uh, which I feel like I've heard from conservatives quite a lot as well. Uh, or Joe Biden is weak and, you know, R Russia would never have invaded Ukraine under Trump. Guys, I don't, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Vladimir Putin is a madman. He's going to do whatever he's going to do whenever he's going to do it. Okay. Uh, and then this really, like, I think this just fully encapsulates for me the, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm literally losing my mind because I saw this tweet today from Jake Tapper and I just, I just started laughing maniacally because it was like too much for me to handle. Um, so Jake Tapper says, interesting from Senator Marco Rubio, our Florida vice chair of the Senate Intel Committee, who notes that Putin, quote, has created a system of people not telling him bad news or facts that contradict his preferences. He also appears to have some neuro slash physiological health issues. Guys, the parallels are a single straight line. Yeah, who's that sound like? I, I can't imagine. Who, who, who could it be? It really um, explains why they hit it off so well. Homies for life. Homies for life. Um, I, I'm absolutely at the end of my wits. And by the way, in addition to people on the far right, some of the some of the DSA folks that I've seen on Twitter this week with their like, but why, why can't the dumbest region be independent if they want to be? It's 
because it's not them. It's Russia. This is Russia's behind all this. Like, where have you been? Um, horrible, horrible, dumb takes. Tankies. Yes. It's the tankies. It's the tankies. And it's the tankies. And like this this idea, like I don't understand the immaturity of of a nuance or lack of nuance of thought that leads you to um, not be able to do two things at once, i.e. acknowledge past very terrible things that Mm -hmm. The U.S. and the CIA has done in other countries, um, while also saying that this situation, like we should be arming the Ukrainians. I mean, it's it's yeah. those things can both exist. When did they when can. when did nuance die? When did where where, where is critical? I thinking? don't know. Has nuance ever existed? I'm not even sure anymore. I, like freaking, am I lying to myself? Are you ready for Are you yeah. ready for me to go on another tirade about the complete dismantling of public education over the last 40 years? That might have <laughs> something you. to do with it. Uh yeah, I mean, listen, insert tirade here, but like uh, uh I think one of you know to my goodwill and all of my love because I can do nothing on a personal level to make an impact on this but president Zelensky uh and just the people of ukraine um i have seen i'm sure many people have seen like there's the there was a tweet from a uh ukrainian member of parliament a woman who looks like she's probably in her 30s uh wearing athleisure holding a kalishnikov she's like i'm learning how to use this because the russians are invading my city right now and you know i just i can't imagine that from most of our own officials you know what i'm saying um i'm just like trying to picture it and i cannot And that's not everybody's jam, sure, but also literally, literally invading. Um, and also kudos to that to the Ukrainian woman that went up to a bunch of Russian soldiers and was like, why are you here? And then she literally cursed them. Take these seats, put them in your Take pockets. Take these seats, so they put them in your pockets you so that when you die on my soil, at least there will be some flowers. It's oh, oh my God. Damn. It's the absolute best. That's some witchery right there. We love that. So uh, I hope I hope um, that, you know, in, in my future life where um, I marry the six foot seven mayor of Kiev, uh, Vitaly Klitschko, um, <laughs> I get to meet her. <laughs> so I know, right? Um, listen. We're, we're all feeling none, none of, of this. Really yes, not, none, none of this is funny. None of this is horrible. None of this we is have, funny. We have been literally like a mess and, and our hearts are broken and and it's awful. But also yeah. we deal with our emotions through jokes and that's it. Sorry. Yeah. 
So I apologize. It's, for it's who we it's are. how we deal. Um, <laughs> listen, let's move on from international madness to domestic madness at home, free range, Pennsylvania political nonsense. Um, petitions. The one thing, the one thing that I didn't want to happen. The one thing, two things, but one thing was that I didn't want two, two separate petition periods. Didn't want that. But guess what, guys? Two separate petition periods. Um, petitions for statewide and congressional candidates started on Friday, for which we had, how much notice did we have, Angela? Under 48 hours. Under 48, 48 hours. hours. Yes. <laughs> on 48 hours notice. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to take a brief nap and I'll never take a nap again. That's a lie. I already took a nap again. Lie! I'll never take a nap lies! again. <laughs> because I'll I woke take, up. I'll never take a nap again in the next 12 hours. <laughs> I think Jillian woke up to me like furiously texting her going, are you sleeping? Are you sleeping? Like, you gotta look at the channel. You gotta go look. <laughs> yeah. And then I did and I was like, uh, does anybody have like a convenient bridge for me to jump off of? Um, <laughs> oh, like two petition periods and no clarification on state commit. I mean, on county committee. Yeah. Well, so like, right at first we were like, so the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania, right, makes this decision specifically on. So we got the new congressional district lines. So this decision was specifically on congressional petitions and statewide petitions so governor lieutenant governor u.s senate right and then congress um and then they would make decisions on the state legislative legislative districts i don't remember that's coming up soon um but then no no direction on state committee or county committee now state committee we know uh wait ultimately i want to explain to people there was no direction on that because that is not what the cases were about. Because the cases did not reference committee, the court didn't address it. Sure. You know who could have addressed it? Pro- possibly. The Department of State? Maybe? The Department of State. The Department of State could have addressed it, but they didn't. And we know that state committee, ultimately, that's going to have to be in the second petition period because uh, Allegheny County and Philadelphia County both apportion their state committee members by state Senate district. We don't have official state Senate maps yet. Therefore, they can't go this period. County committee would have made sense to just have them be with state committee in the next petition period, right? But what happened? Chester County, Delaware, 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 Delaware. Sorry, Chester. I'm so sorry, Chester. Sorry, Chester County. Sorry. I didn't mean you. You're fine. Delaware County sky over Delaware County. (laughs) Yeah. So people needed to submit because so the the Department of State. uh, Not going into a lot of background that some of us know. The department actually, uh, I am, I do apologize to our listeners. I am on my exercise bike because I'm so rage filled today. So I'm sorry that I'm out of breath while I am talking. <sighs> anyway, <laughs> um, but the, <laughs> so the Department of State filed a petition 
whatever it's called, with the Supreme Court to rule on some clarity. And you can always like file other um, briefs to go to the court. And Delaware County, unlike I think every other fucking county in the state, was like, no, mm-hmm. we want precinct committee people now. And let me tell you, from somebody who lives in a smaller population county, having precinct committee people to be able to go canvas when you are doing general assembly petitions is really handy when you need, you know, you've got those smaller districts and you've got precinct people with their own petitions also carrying for a state legislative candidate when you have two motherfucking God's forsaken petition periods and you need to like drum up energy for the second one. Fuck you, Delaware County. Although, yeah, aside from the lovely people who I love who live there, like a few. Yeah, anybody that we're friends with in Delaware County, please know that we still love you. Your county, though, dead to us. Dead. Hexed forever. We're never unhexing you. Not, I can't imagine a circumstance that would that would allow us to unhex you maybe if you withdraw that petition but probably not even then so and oh and and the best part right then is that we don't get a decision until monday so not even monday morning monday afternoon monday monday afternoon we don't get a, a petition we don't get a decision on this until monday afternoon which means that if they do decide in favor of delaware county which fingers crossed so hard they don't um those people will have lost a weekend of petition gathering and the deadline is march 15th which frankly is not like that's the actual deadline but like in order to get petitions back in and everything you know i tell people like i'm telling people march 10th um and that's probably even cutting it close. I probably won't even be able to mail them to the committees. I'll have to like drive them to people. But are you kidding me? I hate it. Yeah. And then there's like the other huge issue, which is, I mean, our general assembly candidates, I mean, they didn't have maps. No one knew if they were even going to be able to run or where they were going to run. They got janked around. I know barely anybody who stayed in the same district, you know, and and so you had this back and forth and this waiting and this stop and start until the very last minute to the point in which people are still trying to adjust from getting the house map, the final house map and make their decisions based on their new districts. And now they're going to have a completely separate petition period, which means they are not going to be able to rely on events put on featuring, you know, statewide candidates, no marquee candidates. A lot of these candidates, especially for us in red districts, you know, who are running again, who are Democratic candidates running against incumbents. These are people um, who people don't know. And just, it's just a very stacked deck of challenges that this specific cycle of Dem House candidates have faced. It's just wild. 
Yeah. Um, everything is insane. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I feel bad. I feel bad for them. <laughs> yeah. Um, but listen, in the in the midst of all of this insanity, um, we have we have bright and shining lights, which are people that have stepped up to run um, for state uh, house and state senate in very difficult districts. Um, or even honestly in any district, even if you're in like a quote unquote easy district for a Democrat, like uh, that's, that's <laughs> campaigns are hard, yo. Uh, but specifically today we have with us uh, a fabulous guest. Her name is Carol Taylor. She is, if you're a, if you're a listener from Blair County, uh, uh, if you're a Blair Dem and you're listening, you will know who Carol Taylor is. Uh, I met Carol in 2018 uh, when she let me drag her into helping round up petitions for then congressional candidate Brent Ottaway. Um, Carol was genuinely, and I mean this, uh, indispensable in collecting 1,800 petition signatures during a petition period, frankly, not terribly unlike this year's. Uh, she's been a leader in Indivisible Blair County, uh, is its current president or perhaps uh, outgoing president. Um, <laughs> and this year she will be running for state Senate in the probably 30th district currently held by Judy Ward. Hello, Carol. How are Hello. you? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just like when this whole thing started and you said to me, you know, I said, can I help? And I remember at that point, we didn't even, we didn't even know what the congressional district was going to look like. And we did not. Tim Bozier was the candidate that spoke. And I, I was so inspired by her. And I went up and I said, how can I help? And, um, and then later you said, well, get petitions. I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound too hard. <laughs> and then everything changed. We had a new candidate. I had like 10 and I'm like going, oh my God, try not to panic. What did I get myself into? Not <laughs> unlike the feeling I'm having like right now. Okay. <laughs> Baptized by fire. That's, that's what happens when you make the mistake of offering to help me. <laughs> if, I mean, you know, I don't know. Am I a glutton for punishment or just, um, you know, self-sacrifice for the public good kind of thing? Um, but yeah, yeah, and then I was involved in in Laura Burke's campaign. I'm very proud of Laura as our commissioner. She's been Yay. fabulous. Um, I and I did some thinking about this, believe it or not. Um, and I didn't want our state senate seat to just be handed over to Senator Ward. Uh, that just rankled with me. So again, I'm going to. Um, myself out there to jump on the fire um, because I feel very strongly um, that the message that's being sent to our community is a very distasteful one right now in terms of division and dividing our community into not not just along not just along you know while we have these inequities in race and in voting rights and all that, but also, you know, the mask wearers versus the anti-mask wearers and the, you know, getting a, getting your vaccine versus not getting your vaccine. And we've seemed to have forgotten that we're trying to operate it to the benefit of everyone. So I'm kind of hoping 
um, to send a more positive message in, in contrast to the message that's being brought presently by the Republican Party in this area, quite frankly. Um, so that's my goal. Um, and also my goal is to win, although I'm quite realistic about the chances of that, we have to start somewhere. We have to start somewhere. We have to start moving the needle to where this sec section of Pennsylvania can be a little more purple than completely red. So that's my goal at this point. Um, so I have, I have strong opinions. Um, diametrically opposed to Judy Ward. I don't intend to dance around subjects because that's not me, number one. Um, but number two, I don't think it does us any good. We're not going to, I'm not going to appeal to everyone. There's a certain portion of the population that is going to say that I'm a communist um, and I should not be running for office. I am not a communist. I feel very strongly in democracy, but I feel that democracy right now is threatened. Um, so uh ask me some questions and i'll give yeah, you yeah <laughs> all right well so let's let's start with this um i was like trying to figure out how to summarize your background and you have done so much um that like i didn't even know where to start but so you used to be an attorney so still let's am. start there you okay. still are still You're are. a practicing attorney though right no, I'm not. Okay. So, um, so yeah. I'm going to go back a little bit just to give you some okay. history. So it, it starts sure. to make sense as to why I am uh, throwing my hat in the ring. Um, right. I started off with a degree in criminal justice, but while I was in undergrad, I worked with juvenile delinquents um, in the social work capacity um, in the center city of Hartford, which is kind of a, a rough area. Um, for a semester, I went and learned Spanish in Mexico, uh, came out of that and instituted the first EMS system in a very rural area of Texas, over seven counties. Believe it or not, they had uh, purses instead of ambulances running people to the hospital. I can kind of make a trip. Yeah. No training, people without training, no equipment, no, you know, this was back a ways, but it was surprising that there was anywhere in the United States that actually um, had that difficulty. And believe it or not, we faced a lot of blowback from the county judges, which I can never figure out unless they had some financial interest in it. Um, but I don't know what the reason was. That started off. I went to law school, very idealistic, wanting to change the world. Um, came out of law school and had to make money for a while. But I did do a lot of pro bono work representing neglected children, um, doing people's law school where I educated the public on the laws and their consumer rights. Um, I did some of that pro bono as well. Um, and I don't know, I was, I was very uh, active with the Trial Lawyers Association, some lobbying stuff for women's rights while I was working through that phase of my life. And then I got stymied a little bit by illness, stepped away from it, expected fully to step back into running my office. I had two offices, one in Pennsylvania, one in Delaware, stepped away from all of that because I had to, my health was, uh, I had Lyme disease and it went undiagnosed. So I was very sick, decided to not go back. Um, so 
uh, eight years took me to get to get back to a functioning human being. And I ended up doing something that I knew I would love. I work as an addictions counselor at an inpatient rehab facility. And the experience has given me a great deal of understanding um, about the problems we face in this area in terms of addiction and the cost to society. So I have a lot of interests. I have an interest in education, how that helps community grow, uh, public education, drawing people to the area. We don't think of some of these issues as economic issues, but in reality, if we don't support our public schools, we don't support our communities growing because people don't relocate to an area where there's bad schools, right? So our money, that's money well spent. Um, I grew up in a household where my dad had a small business. So obviously I'm much in favor of growing Altoona, Blair County and all the surrounding counties that I may be representing. I'm assuming I know what they are now, but it, is, it hasn't been finalized um, in those small towns, which is primarily composed of small business and what that takes and how difficult that is. Um, I am a, a member of the NAACP and am very strongly opposed to racial discrimination, sexual discrimination of any nature. Um, and even while I was practicing law, had received a commendation from the ACLU for my work in discrimination cases. So I have a varied background. Um, and the addiction um, in the addiction field, the last three years, I've gained a real understanding of the cost not only to the families of those who are addicted, those individuals who have addiction problems and how we should go about uh, ameliorating that situation, but also the overall impact on our focus in terms of crime, um, the amount of people that we're incarcerating needlessly um, and, and the realistic you know, boots on the ground um, experience that it takes to really understand that problem. And I'm also active with LymeDisease.org. I just spent a couple of days interfacing with uh, senators and representatives in order to bring more awareness and money into medical research to help people with Lyme disease, which is also a big, big problem in Pennsylvania that we're trying to ignore um, in terms of treatment. So that kind of gives an overview of my background, which I know is kind of all over the place. Oh, I forgot. I taught for a while. <laughs> I, <was a> teacher. <laughs> I substitute taught in the three school districts around here, um, Spring Cove, um, the Altoona School District, and Claysburg. Um, and, and that also gave me some of awareness of, of the problems that we face in education. So that- Carol, I love that you're background is see you you framed it as all over the place no no I frame this as like sublimely amazingly wonderfully well-rounded to understand like the intersectionalities of all of these issues because I feel like that is a huge problem that we have with legislators I mean the best legislators are the ones that can see a problem and all the interconnecting parts all around. And that if you move one thing, 
you know, it has unintended consequences. And that if you ignore one part of a problem and do this, it's not going to solve it. So I think that it is amazing that you would bring all that strength and that intersectionality and understanding issues with you. So yay. Thank you so much. (laughs) I think, I think my experience, um, it, it went in a direction I didn't expect. I mean, when I started practicing law, I expected that that's what I would do um, until I retired. And it's funny that what the thing that I regarded as the most devastating um, to my life, which was getting ill, um, right at the point where business was booming, my officers were doing great, there was talk of the judgeship, and then I just, you know, right down the tubes. You might regard that as like one of the most awful periods of my life, but it also was a turning point for me um, because it gave me the opportunity to do all of these other things. And I am, I am supremely happy in what I do. It's trying, it's difficult, but it is immensely rewarding. And so I don't have any sense of bitterness or regret. As a matter of fact, I am totally grateful for the opportunities that having Lyme disease presented to me. Because honestly, if I didn't have that stumbling block, I don't know where I would be right now, but I probably wouldn't be talking to y'all, right? (laughs) Um, And it is out of a sense of all of that that I first stepped up. I mean, the first time I ever got involved, involved, other than kind of, you know, going and talking to legislators regarding causes, was when Hillary was running and I was scared. And I just came to this area, which I love, by the way. I know that, you know, people are like, wow, I do. I love it here. I chose to stay here. Hey guys. Okay. (laughs) I tapped on my notebook, which was a mistake. Now my dog's saying (laughs) that someone's knocking at the door. Anyway, um, I forgot entire, oh, it was out of fear. So I wasn't actually thinking of a political career. I've never thought of a political career, but the honest to God truth is our leaders should be about serving the public, not the public serving the leaders. And so that may sound terribly idealistic, but I'm a pragmatic person. I'm a very, you know, under, I'm a, I know what work I'm talking about, but I really feel like we need to return to that. Uh, we have the entitled that are leading the rest of their constituents instead of being a part of that constituency and being concerned about community instead of power. This should be about community. And that's what I'm hoping to build. Any other questions? Carol, Carol. I'm loving it. (laughs) Love it. Uh, you guys are great. You get me all fired up, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, that's what we do all the time. Um, hype team, hype team. Hype team. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you have covered all, like, all of the questions that I thought of, which is, of course you did, because you're amazing. Um, but I will ask you, oh, go ahead, Angela. I have a question. Yeah, I have a question. It's a two-part question. It's a two-part question. And I'm going to, it's got a little lead in. Uh, so um, on, our, on our last episode, we at length discussed a particularly egregiously irritating article, national article um, that discussed um, 
the toxicity of the Dem brand. Um, as as such, and, and I, so as such, and everything that we said about that, and and all you know, that's a whole other thing. However, however, um, given that you are already a local grassroots leader in a red leaning area, I'd really like if you could give your take um, for everyone who's listening on messaging as a whole. Okay. Um, Specifically, as you see, as someone in a red leading area, how um, it relates to this concept of toxicity of the Dem brands. And you can't see me, but I'm making big air quotes because I think this is ridiculous. Not denying there's some truth to it. However, the framing is awful. So, Carol, with that framing, what are examples of messaging as you've been out organizing, uh, you know, in, in your community, what are examples of messaging that you think work in your experience, in your area, and what are examples of messaging that just does not work? Hmm. Well, I think in my canvassing, um, it is interesting to me, but it, the truth of the matter is that I had a really great number of conversations with folks that were either independent or Republican. And some of the angriest people that were Democrats um, that feel like we've not paid attention to their needs. Um, the reality of it is that the Democratic Party is not toxic. There's toxicity being pointed at the Democratic Party. I don't, I am one of those people who has a bumper sticker that says, um, oh God, I can, Democratic women are the most fun or something. I don't know, something silly like that, but it indicates I'm a Democrat along with my Sierra Club sticker and a few others. And I never put stickers on my car, okay? But right now I have to tell you, I don't care what people say. I am proud to be a Democrat and we may be having a tough time out here in a very red area, but I think part of the problem is messaging. First of all, there isn't enough of it, okay? Um, you know, it's always the loudest, the most negative that gets the attention. And that's true in politics as well as in a crowd of people. You know, you don't notice the guy who's speaking quietly in the corner, but you do notice the loud mouth who's you know, yelling obscenities at somebody. That's what we're hardwired for. We're hardwired to protecting ourselves. And by that, I mean, we're hardwired to respond to fear. And I think a lot of the messaging right now is all about fear mm -hmm. and, and politicians trying to build a power base based on their worst fears, you know? Um, how do we respond to that? We have to respond by inspiring people, okay? And in order to inspire people, you have to be yourself, number one. And honestly, although I'm not a fan of Trump, obviously, the one thing he was able to do is fire people up by speaking plainly and openly, even when it was completely odious, okay? But what he did was that. We don't do enough of that. We're a, we ourselves sometimes back away 
from talking about important issues because we don't want to stir things up in general. I mean, I think in that last podcast, you talked a little bit about how they're afraid to talk to our neighbors about issues or afraid to say that we're Democrats. I say nonsense, you know, first of all, I don't believe in labels, actually. Um, I have friends that are Republican and independents and everything, you know, everything from socialist to extremely conservative. And I have friends that are extremely conservative who say they will vote for me because they know me and because they trust me. And that's what it should be about. It should be about voting for the person and the issues that they stand for and not based on dog whistles, which is all I'm hearing lately um, that, are in, that are trying to make people fearful. So I think if we stick to the inspiring message that we have and that we're not quiet about it anymore and we repeat it and stick to it and don't back down, people will pay attention. But that also requires staying positive, which in these days, I'm telling you, it is difficult. It's very difficult. It's difficult not to be angry um, because I see so much injustice. <laughs> it does, it makes me angry. I, I think if, if you're not angry, you know, not in the, in the words of the most overused cliche in the world, it is true though, that if you're not angry, you're not paying attention at this juncture. So I'm happy to hear you say that you have good conversation, you know, that you're not afraid to go have those conversations on doors. Um, the part B to my question kind of takes your individual perspective, and I kind of wanted to broaden it and, and see if you had any thoughts here, which is as a candidate who's just getting into a race, and, and we're talking about your, you've been talking about your messaging as a candidate. What, how do you feel? Like what? What do you think, what kind of messaging and comms do you think could come out from the state party that would be supportive of candidates like yourself? You can think. We, we, can, we can rant about something while you think about it. Don't worry. We, are, we're, we got a lot today. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, you know, <laughs> that's, that's the question that I'm, I'm kind of grappling with. But I think and, and Jillian, you can chime in with this, but I think part of, of what happens because of the area I'm running in is there, there could be more positive reinforcement and support, um, but I understand the realities of it, okay? We, um, we tend to focus obviously in with limit, we have limited energy, limited money, limited, you know, boots on the ground, you tend to focus where you feel there's at least um, a good chance. Um, and unfortunately, part of the, it, it's self-perpetuating, right? Because mm -hmm. we don't focus on this area, then the candidates that are running probably do have less of a chance um, and the numbers don't get up. So it, it's sort of, um, I would, you know, from the state party, I would like to see more coordination and support in general, um, but I'm not being critical. I'm just understanding that the logistics of it are what they are. The yeah. problem being is how do we get over that point if we are in this, you know, 
locally, just continuing to plug along on our own. Um, I think a message of unity is a very good thing. I think that without referring to particular candidates, um, we have some really wonderful people running on the state level, like for example, Josh Shapiro, who I think most people regard as a champion of, of individuals, consumer rights, um, you know, where people are feeling that they're being pushed around by big money um, and, and not in their best interest. And so I think that kind of campaign resonates with people. Also the messaging is constant. So they know what he's doing um, and that helps. So the difficulty is getting the word out and getting our message to people in an area that seems, feels somewhat isolated from the state itself. It's almost like, I always think of Pennsylvania, it looks it's like a microcosm of the United States, right? So you have the populous regions over near Philadelphia and then the populous regions over near Pittsburgh, and then you have the middle. And we're the middle. Um, and in the United States, you have the East Coast and the West Coast, and then there's the middle, which is primarily rural, where the messaging is, is more difficult because you don't have the ability to get to large groups of people to talk to them, um, somewhat isolated. Um, and they feel left out of the political process. Well, thank you so much, Carol, for joining us and like talking and I would listen to you forever. Um, <laughs> thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, if you're, if you're in, uh, Blair, Huntingdon, Fulton, Mifflin or Juniata, I, I believe, hopefully yeah, that'll be the final one. Yep. Um, <laughs> You can collect petition signatures for Carol, question mark, <laughs> when they happen. Um, oh my goodness. So listen, as always, we got some events. Uh, I am selfishly going to uh, talk about petitions, candidates, and cookies. That is a petition event hosted by the Blair Dems on March 5th. That is Saturday from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. We'll be at the AFSME building in Duncansville. Um, where I believe that I'm going to try to add a drive-through capacity to that so that people can drive through and get petition signatures if they don't feel com comfortable coming in, which is totally fine. Um, and cookies, because, you know, I was trying to think of what the, the theme, what, do, what do we do? Um, and for some reason I thought about cookie tables. Uh, as a native Western Pennsylvanian, uh, you cannot get me away from a cookie table. So uh, that's what we're doing. You cannot go wrong with that theme. You cannot There's go no wrong with the cookie table. You get a bunch of people to make some cookies, bring the cookies. And then, you know, if there's still cookies left over, people go home with cookies. What's wrong? How can you go wrong with that? Wait, what time is uh, your petition okay. event? 1 p.m. Listen, try my, to figure out, try to do the math, figure out if you can make Dal tuna. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my petition event is in the morning. It is from 10 to 12. But I'm like, I just heard you can take leftover cookies. And I was like, man, can I get the Altuna? You could get there at the end for the leftovers. Yeah. Just cookies. like shoving them in your purse. Uh, 
Yeah. And listen, there are so many other petition events. Angela's having one in the morning, presumably in Lawrence County. Um, they're going to be all over the place and where you sh- should hopefully be able to find them uh, is a mobilize.us slash PA Dems. Um, if you are a county party, you should be putting your events into mobilize. Um, so check that out. See what you can find. There are events just all over the place. Um, and sign up to carry some petitions like get some petitions to circulate because you don't get to have awesome democratic candidates they don't get on ballot and in order to do that they must get petition signatures i'm sorry that's just the way it is um in any case uh we are um i lost my mind for a second there uh bookshop it's always good to read a book take some time to read a book and uh you can check out some of our recommendations at bookshop.org slash shop slash the night caucus um check them out tell us what you think if you have a recommendation tweet at us let us know all right so many thanks to our amazing guest carol taylor who is running for state senate to my sisters katie and angela of course our mysterious powerful and delightful producer dr ack don't forget to follow us on twitter we're getting so close to a thousand followers and our one year anniversary is coming up in a month it would be so cool if you gave us a follow and recommended us to others Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Night Caucus. Subscribe and rate us on Apple Pods, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your pods. Um, and of course, come join our community by becoming a Patreon sponsor. If you were a Patreon sponsor yesterday, you would have gotten to hang out in our State of the Union live chat. All right. Don't forget to register to vote by mail. Goodbye.